Here comes the bride. Genesis 2. Are you there? Look at 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Father God, I ask today, as we look at your word, believing that what took place in the Garden of Eden wasn't some story, believing that it is just as inspired as John 3.16 in the New Testament, Father, we believe that there was a literal Adam and an Eve. We believe that there is a literal Garden of Eden. Father God, we ask that your word would come alive today and that it would challenge everything about who we are and what we believe and that our lives would line up with your word, not every word in the street or every word that comes across the news. But Father God, knowing today that as your word goes forth, it is instilling faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Knowing that as your word goes forth, it does not return empty or void back to you. Father God, fill us with your word today. Challenge us with your word today, Father God. In Jesus' name we ask and pray and everybody in agreement said, amen and amen. You can be seated. Notice here God's concern for man, God said it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. It's amazing how God created everything and said that it was good and then noticed that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. That even when the animals loaded the ark, which I also believe is a literal story and actually took place, that they came two by two. And so even God's design said it wasn't good for man to be alone. I love what the New American Commentary, quickly becoming one of my favorites, says, whether the man felt his aloneness at first isn't stated. Only the divine viewpoint is given. God has created human life to have fellowship with him, but also to be a social entity, building relationships with other human beings. It's powerful, powerful to note that after creation, after creation, the very first thing established was marriage. After creation, and I need, you, I need you to think with me, Scripture being our guide, after creation, the very first thing established was marriage. So it stands to reason that if man was made in God's image, so was marriage. But how and why? How and why? How and why? Which is going to be the thrust of our study 
in this series. Jewish thought sees marriage as the representation of the divine image here on earth. We know that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And Jewish thought believed that marriage was a representation of God here on earth. And we're going to see that beginning this week and in the weeks to come as to why. In all of the powerful imagery that God uses speaking to us through marriage about a much bigger picture that one day Jesus returning for his bride. So at the very least, we're going to clearly see today that God's desire for, for humanity was not isolation. I believe the enemy's desire for humanity is isolation. It's to get you alone with your thoughts. It's to cut you off from community and society. Anything that makes you feel that you are better off alone, I guarantee you, is not God. God did not make you that way. Didn't make you that way. And so more and more you see it all the time. And I believe the biggest lie today is found in social media that um, you can be a part of a community and never have to interact with. You can just do it digitally or you can, I'm telling you, it's not the same. You will never be able to replace face-to-face communication ever. And texts and emails, they don't cut it. If they did, then you would be able to clearly express yourself and, and the emojis, they don't cut it either. You're going to tell me that you never got in an argument even with emojis being used and you were never misunderstood? Well, I thought when you sent the one with tears in your eyes that you were sorry for me, you were laughing at me. And so I want to challenge all that today because the, the, the future generations are retreating more and more and more behind a false um, communication. And it isn't human interaction. It's digital interaction. So God created marriage, God created family, God created community. Before there was ever a church, there was marriage and family. Ask me what God places a greater importance upon. And as grateful as I am for the church, man, marriage and family, that came first. In verse 18, it says that God calls woman a helper to man, a helper to man, Now, before you think that this is some secondary delegation, a description of woman making her seem inferior to man, I remind you that Moses called God his helper in Exodus 18, verse 4. And this term helper means the use of aid and support in the face of enemies. So if I'm the devil, I want to turn couples against each other. I want to turn marriages on each other so that they will not fight a very real foe. I want to preoccupy them and make them think that they are at odds with each other instead of standing in agreement against the very real common enemy. That's what I want to do if I'm the devil. Turn on each other. Turn on each other. I need you fighting each other. I don't want you to realize that there is a common devil and a common foe. I don't want you to even think about that. That's all a myth. There's not a real hell. There's not a real devil. There's not absolute truth. There's not absolute good, absolute bad. That's what I'm doing if I'm the devil. I'm telling you that. I'm telling you that. I'll remind you also that the Holy Spirit is called our helper. You think that's a secondary delegation of the Holy Spirit to call him our helper? It's a description. It's a description. So why did God create man and woman and institute Marriage, because this whole topic of marriage is a hot button today, isn't it? Look at Genesis 1, 27 and 28. 
So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Notice God's blessing given with a mandate to fill the earth and the covenant. God's blessing was given with a mandate. God's blessing was given with a mandate. I believe with every blessing from God, there is a purpose given. There's a purpose given. There's a purpose given. Here, a mandate given. The New American Commentary says marriage and family are the divine ideal for carrying out the mandate. Marriage and family are the divine ideal for carrying out the mandate given to fill the earth, to subdue it. From last month's series, we discovered Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, and I want to draw your attention to it today because I believe it is a powerful verse. Malachi 2, 15. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife and body and spirit? You are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. It only makes sense that if God, God's purpose for marriage and family is to fill the earth and govern it, that his choice would be godly people to do so. Let me know when I lose you. I'm pretty profound and I'm pretty deep here. It only makes sense that if God's purpose for marriage was to fill the earth, to subdue it, to govern it, that God's choice would be godly people to do so with. I mean, isn't that what all of Scripture has been about, that God was preserving his people all along? God wasn't preserving a race. He wasn't saying, I want a bunch of blonde-haired, blue-eyed people. He was preserving his people on the face of the earth, whether they were black or white or red or yellow, it did not matter. He was preserving his people on the face of the earth. And if you'll look out, if you'll look at Jesus' lineage in Matthew chapter one, you'll find a pretty amazing list of people. In there, you've got prostitutes mentioned in Jesus' lineage. In there, you've got women who disguise themselves as prostitutes and and slept with their father-in-law because he didn't provide a, a, a husband for her and, and, and twins came out of her womb. You've got a pretty amazing list. So let's, not, let's, let's dispense right now with the fact that God only uses perfect people. God uses people that have no challenges in life. Are you going to tell me that Rahab didn't have any challenges in life? She was a prostitute. But in a moment, in a moment she decided that the God that the Israelites served is the God of all gods, and so she hid the spies in her and her entire family. Everyone in her house were spared when the walls of Jericho came down. Amazing stories like that in Jesus' in Jesus's lineage. You know, so before you think that, you know, the, the gospel is narrow-minded and that it's bigoted and that, no, 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 no. No, 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 Christianity isn't about what we'd like to believe or that we'd hope to believe. It's all about Jesus Christ. That's what it is. Well, Pastor John, I believe that there are many options and that there are many ways to heaven. Um, I'm grateful that there is a way, a truth in the life. And I'm not despising that. I'm grateful for it and thankful for it. And I'm not saying, you know what, I don't like the fact 
that the Bible says this, this, and that. I'm grateful for the fact that the Bible says this, this, and that. You know, it seems like sometimes we, we want more choices. I'm just grateful that we get to choose. I'm grateful that God sent his son. And I'm not splitting hairs over all the things that I wish and over, you know, why can't it be like. I'm grateful for the fact that God so loved the world that he gave. That's what I'm grateful for today. And I'm grateful that Jesus came, didn't have to, willingly came, and for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. That's what I'm grateful for today. Must be nice to to be thinking about all of the things that we wish God would have done differently or that we'd like to think God did when there's nothing in Scripture to support it. And my pastor used to stand up here, and I don't know how many times he did, and he would say, this is the owner's manual for your life. It is alive. It's not dead. It's not passe. It's alive. It's living, and it's active, the Word of God. So let me challenge you, based on what we've looked at today, with a few, with a few thoughts. First of all, can you see a few things in what we've looked at, for instance, how same-sex marriage is not compatible with Christianity and God's purpose and plan for mankind. And before you say, you know, that's a bigoted and a narrow-minded statement, I have gay family members and I love them. I hug them, I kiss them. I dare you to get in my face and tell me right now that I don't love them. I love them. That aside, this is God's word, and God didn't call me to come to Ionia with my wife and my two sons at the time and preach a friendly or uh, a candy-coated gospel. He called me here to preach the word of God, and that's what I'm doing, whether um, it, it, it sits right with you or not, because it's the gospel that changes lives for all eternity. It isn't my feelings. It isn't how I'm emotionally tied to something that's going to change anybody's life. We're here to preach Jesus, and we're here to preach his word. It's not stale. It's not old. It's life-changing. It's transformational. Okay, so I'm not up here preaching issues. I'm up here preaching a person, Jesus Christ. I'm not, I'm, not up, I'm not up here preaching the things that, you know, are near and dear to my heart. I'm up here preaching the things that are near and dear to God's heart. And that's what he's called me to do. And if I won't do it, then rest assured God will remove me with somebody that's got a little bit more courage and a little bit more guts, and they'll get up here and they'll preach God's word. And if they won't, God will remove them, and he'll find, he will find a man, he will find a woman who will preach his word. Must be nice to, to, you know, to pick and choose and think that God should be this or God should be that. God is perfect in all of his ways and just. So before you think that we're going to stand before God one day and that you're going to be able to say, God, this is not fair. God's beyond fair. He's perfect. The Bible says he's perfect in all his ways and just. He's perfect in all of his ways and just. Pastor, can you support any of this with scripture, I can, and I just want to make this statement before I go to these verses, that as we've already seen, your sex drive is given to you by God. It's God-given. It's God-given. And it is God-given just like your purpose for your existence is God-given, but like a loaded gun should not be given to the immature to shoot off for personal enjoyment, so the sex drive can damage when used immaturely without commitment to God's purpose for its existence in marriage. I believe sex is so powerful, so spiritual, and everybody doesn't count on the fact that sex is spiritual. Really? 
if you've ever had sex outside of marriage, you tell me how difficult it was to forget that person that you had sex with. You tell me how difficult it was when it came time for you to sever that relationship. As soon as sex is factored in, there is a bond that's formed. There is a oneness that's formed between two people that have sex. Scripture says even if you sleep with a prostitute, you become one with them. There is a oneness, there is a spiritual occurrence that happens in sexual union, and it changes you. It changes you. You become like them. And that really scrambles your world if you are not married to them. Because then when you break up, there's a severing, which is likened unto a divorce, really, because you became one, and then you separated, and so there was a tearing where two had become one, they're now rent in two, and you can't stand that person. You hope they die. You hope you never see them in church. You, don't, you, you can't stand them. Why? Because you've been ripped in two because you chose to enter into a sexual union with them. Stuff that you typically don't hear from a pulpit on Sunday. Somebody's got to tell you. They have no problem preaching it out there. So you become one. When you become one and you're not married, ho, oh, oh, ho, church circles called a soul tie. And you get sexually curious and you don't know, you know who you are, you don't know if you're straight or gay, and you begin to experiment, there's a bond that's formed and now you're convinced. And now you're convinced. Another message, another time, but let me read 1 Corinthians Chapter 6, this is God's word. And I want you to know that I read these verses to my nephew when he was 18 years old and he called me up on the phone and he goes, Uncle John, I'm mad at you. Okay, you're mad at me. He goes, yep, I'm mad at you because I'm gay and I've heard some of the things that you've said and I know that you don't agree. You can't tell me that God... does not love the gay person. First of all, let's just be honest, God loves everybody, so pfft, on that. But now we're talking about relationship and now we're talking about eternity. It'll never come down to who God does or doesn't love. God loves everybody. Billy Graham and Marilyn Manson, the same, loves them. Okay, now let's talk eternity. Let's talk God's word. And I read these verses to him, and he got so mad at me over the phone. I said, your issue is now between God and his word, and it's no longer with me. All I did was read the Bible to you. And if you can find another way to take these verses, and you go right ahead and do it. But I would not try to add anything to God's word or take away anything from God's word to suit what you would prefer to do or to suit the way that you would prefer to live Here's God's word, and I want you to notice the language here very, very strongly. This is New Testament. This is after Jesus is, is, is resurrected from the dead, and, uh, and there's been arguments. Well, Pastor John, they, didn't, they, they hadn't seen gay marriage. Um, I, I guarantee you, you know, homosexuality has been around as long as prostitution has, and Nero was in gay marriages. I believe he was in two, and in one of them, he was the bride. Julius Caesar had an homosexual affair, and he was mocked because of it. They knew exactly what same-sex union and marriage was all about. It had been modeled before them. Notice what Paul says here. Paul says in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? I'm reading out of the New Living and I think it's as solid a rendering in this case as any. Don't fool yourselves. 
Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Look at verse 11, and this is where I want you to get because everybody gets hung up on the verses that I just read. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We have, <clears throat> we have testimonies in our congregations of people that have come out of homosexuality, people that have had homosexual encounters. I was no virgin when I got married. But when I came to Christ at 20 years old, God cleansed me and he washed me. And I tell you, on my wedding night when I was 28 years old, I felt every bit as much a virgin as my wife. In fact, I was the one that was more nervous. I ordered pizza room service that night. for our, My wife's looking at me like, and you would have thought that me, the guy that had lived the way that I had, you know, would have, would have been, you know, ready to go. I was as nervous as nervous could stink and be. God restored me. I was no virgin when I got married, but God cleansed me and he made me new. Listen, this isn't about lifestyles. This is about Jesus Christ. And, and you can have your, 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 your personal arguments and you can have the things that you feel passionate about. I'm preaching Jesus to you today. I'm not up here preaching issues. I'm preaching a gospel to you today. I'm telling you that it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. Jesus came and died for you. He came and died for me. He came and he died for everyone. So that, Romans 10, 13 says, anyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. We all come to God broken. We all come to God battered and bruised. No matter what homes you were raised in, we all come to God realizing that we are in need of a Savior. That's why we come. You don't have to come to him. You, you, you don't have to. You can think that you're right in your stance and you can defiantly dig your feet in, but I'll guarantee you that one day you are gonna stand and you are gonna look into the eyes of him who knew no sin, yet died for you anyway. Died for you anyway. And whatever your reasons are in that moment, that's on you. I'm doing my job and I'm telling you, Jesus died for you. Jesus can set you free, he can heal you, he can cleanse you. Doesn't matter whether you're an adulterer or a drug addict, my God can set you free. He can and he will, and I could ask for a show of hands, any former drug addicts, any former adulterers, any former homosexuals, any former lesbians, I could ask for a show of hands in this room and they would go up. And they've been set free by God. They weren't duped. They didn't buy in to some, some brainwashing. We don't have you walk through something and brainwash you as, you as you leave the church today. There's no cover charge for you being here. Everything you have done and everything you do, you do willingly because you have come to know God and you have been set free by God and your sins have been forgiven by God. We're not, we're not perfect, we're forgiven. No one's perfect. I'm not up here preaching I'm perfect. My gosh, hang around with me for a week. You'll find that out. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. I'm saved. I'm, I'm, I'm delivered. I was so promiscuous. I was the dope smoker and the coke snorter and, and the speed popper and the mushroom eater and, and the hash under glasser and whatever other terms you want for it. I was that guy and change. And all I knew is that I wasn't real happy. And I needed Jesus Christ. And he changed me and gave me an amazing woman and, and three amazing boys now giving us a foursome that 
bouncing 16, 15-year-old baby boy um, that is now in our family and can call us here to this amazing city. We never knew anybody. We didn't know a soul. All we knew is that God asked us, so we came. We figured he could work it out. I'm so glad we did. Oh, my gosh, I'm glad we did. I don't know where we'd be. I'm sure we'd be okay, but we wouldn't be as good as we are. What about you today? I'm sure you got opinions. I'm sure you got affections. I'm sure you got emotions. But what about you today? It's, it's not about all that. It's about Jesus Christ. And you can go ahead and try to make it all that. And you can point your finger at the church and call it narrow-minded and bigoted. And go ahead. God's not narrow-minded and he's not a bigot. He's loving. He's a deliverer. He's a healer. I've seen him heal numerous people, deliver people. People bound, so bound. You never thought that'd be right. I know people that have, that have been delivered. They were bipolar this and, and diagnosed this, and, and God so set them free. People that were on a host of medications, and God so set them free. What about you? God didn't call us to preach a popular gospel. Didn't call us to cater. to Christianity isn't like some catering service where God brings you everything that you want. He changes you so that he can use you to change people's lives on the earth. That's what he does. I know a lot of this hasn't been easy today. This is about Jesus Christ, though. It's about Jesus Christ, and we come to him as we are. And I just want to challenge you today before we leave. Just want to challenge you today before we leave. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, you're no more bad and rotten than I was when I came. First church service I ever went to, I was up till five in the morning snorting coke with my buddy who was a coke dealer. I wasn't a bad, I wasn't a bad guy. I just didn't know. Nobody really told me. And I had been around church my whole life and nobody really told me. Man, I finally heard it messed with me and it's still messing with me and I'm glad that he does man it began and it continues and we're becoming more and more and more like Jesus this process doesn't stop it didn't stop at salvation it began at salvation it continues great big word called sanctification the process is ongoing but it must have a starting point And that starting point is when you invite Jesus into your heart and into your life. That's where it starts. And as simple as I can possibly make it, that's really all that I know, is that's that's where it starts. It all starts at Jesus. It all starts at the foot of the cross. And I just want to be able to pray with you today. So could I get everybody to, to bow their heads, close their eyes.